0: Welcome to Podcast on Fire on Celavi, Moncherie, and All About Our Long. And we've done Vampire Season, we've done Jackie Chan Season, we've done Gambling Seasons before. But for three episodes of Podcast on Fire, starting with this one, we look at some uh, classic, or not classic, depending on who you are. Tear jerkers out of Hong Kong cinema. and We opened in 1993 and Derek Yee's first movie of the 90s. A bit uh, distant from the initial anger in his directing voice and uh, we discussed his multiple award winners, L'Avi Mon And also, before Johnny Toe was or became the Johnny Toe that uh, the world sort of knows, he was Johnny Toe in Hong Kong cinema still. <laughs> he had a profile. But before he was directing... Uh, Milky Way uh, classics uh, crime movies and what have you. He directed in every conceivable genre. He was a working director and one of the movies he did was all about Ah Long which featured a in fact performance that uh, was so good it led all the way to the best actor statue at the Hong Kong Film Awards and and again that is the Melaroma All About Along from 1989. And my name is Kenny B, and with me for this first weepy episode of the season, and, and this is where I steal from his uh, podcast. Uh, with me is, at his news and reviews desk with a stash of tissues, is Mr. Kevin Ma.
1: <laughs> I get it. <laughs> Sorry, I just finished watching the films. <laughs> the tissues
0: are for the tears and nothing
1: else. <laughs> I've run out of tissue. I'm here to kick ass and, and wipe my way my tears, and I'm all out of tissues
0: kenneth well that that that's viewer commitment damn it that's a for for a melodrama season like i've uh, emotionally invested mr kevin well. so welcome back buddy
1: <laughs> thank
0: you thank you how are you no 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 Ugh. i'm very well very well and uh, uh, on a sunday morning I uh, got my coffee and i got my melodrama to discuss i see no reason to complain
1: Yeah, me neither. I'm feeling good. I guess we're recording this. Are we allowed to talk about the day we're recording this?
0: It it, it dates the podcast, but it sort of fits into what you do uh, when you're not podcasting because uh, it leads into your plugs, my friend. So you might as well tell tell us what you're doing this Eve uh, uh, web wise. So uh, plug away and what you're doing.
1: Well, today um, is the Hong Kong Film Awards. The uh, I forgot what installment it is already. I think it's like the 39th or something like that. But, you know, as you, people who follow my work knows, I do a live blog of the two main Chinese language film awards every year. That's Golden Horse Awards and the uh, Hong Kong Film Awards. And this year I'll be doing it uh, for the first time on my new website, Asia and Cinema. So uh, I'm getting ready for that after we record this episode.
0: So Asian cinema, in short, uh, newly launched venture sounds straightforward enough. But uh, what will it hold uh, once you get uh, uh, once you get a few months uh, into its run? Well,
1: right now you see um, a lot of uh, Asian cinema news, which is what I'm intending to do. is not too different from what I used to do at uh, Film Business Asia, just essentially covering um, a sort of having a balanced perspective on uh, various uh, regions in Asia, uh, because Asia is such a diverse place, and not many people know about that. Because, you know, when you read the trades, the Western trades, all you hear is about is China, 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 because that's where all the money goes. So I'm trying to sort of, Present Asia in a more balanced perspective. Every country sort of holds equal footing and, and covering as many countries as I can. I mean, bearing in mind that my language ability doesn't extend beyond the East Asian countries, but that's what I'm trying to do. And um, yeah, and then Hong Kong Film Awards Live blog is uh, one of the things I carried over with my old uh, Love HK film blog, The Golden Rock. Uh, other than those little things, you'll see pretty much uh, box office stories, casting, uh, film festivals, uh, that sort of coverage.
0: It's a nice little first uh, big, well, 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 the site has been running for a few weeks, but uh, it's still uh, nicely timed for the awards. Uh, That's a way to get uh, clicks onto the site, and uh, you can prove that your heart, I know your heart is into it, but for new readers of the site, you can prove that this is gonna be dedicated stuff you know I'm gonna be here I'm gonna be present I'm gonna present quality so uh, uh, so why not a live blog of the Hong Kong film Awards which is of interest even internationally so well timed even if it wasn't planned that way
1: yeah actually I had planned it um, to coincide with my visit at the Oscar Osaka Asian Film Festival which I did um, last month I think mid last month in March um, so I got a couple of those reports up and then you know news happened so often that I haven't finished all that work and now moving on to the next big thing, which is this live blog. Um so so it's good, you know, it, it's actually one of the most active times in Asia Cinema or in cinema in general, because right now you got the Hong Kong Film Festival coming up this week, you got the you got Cannes coming up in Udine, Far East Film Festival. So spring is actually one of the most active times for Asian cinema. So it's a good time to, to launch the site, I think.
0: Does it really ever let up? Uh, because uh, it seems like once one festival starts, there's there's a rollout leading into summer as well? Or is there a couple of months in between some big ones?
1: Yeah, um, July, August, and September are generally somewhat quiet. So after Shanghai and before Busan. Um, right in the middle, you got, I guess, some a festival here and there. But the major Asian festivals take place um, in the spring. You got Hong Kong. And then in the fall, you have uh, Busan and and Tokyo. So those are the big sort of free Asian film festivals happening uh, of course you got shanghai in june so so this summer will be a bit of a will be a bit slow you know we'll, we'll try and keep up
0: well thankfully you don't need to run around in summer and in the thick of uh, humidity season extreme and all of that you know you can relax inside amidst the ac i suppose <laughs> and wait for the fall
1: that is true that is true um although, although it gets pretty hot in hong kong whether you're inside or outside so what can you do
0: uh, all right but uh, a little a little plug here uh, web url wise for asian cinema so where can they find it? where can they find it?
1: uh you can find the site at uh, AsiainCinema.com. it's not asian in cinema it's asiancinema.com uh facebook is uh facebook.com slash asiancinema and same for twitter twitter.com slash Cinema.
0: And you also co host uh, East Screen, West Screen with uh, Paul Fox, as we said, doing a splendid job over there, like providing me with news who who, who doesn't read news. I can read, but I don't like to keep up with news. So uh, I I see that as my chance to catch up a little bit with uh, the industry across the regions and what have you. So I always appreciate the work that you two do. Are uh, providing for us uh, over there, including uh, one of the most enticing projects ever that is coming up. You know, the Benny Chan directed "Meow."
1: <laughs> the, yes, that's the alien cat movie that is based on or inspired by a character in a local pharmacy ad. <laughs> in case you don't know,
0: <laughs> I mean, they're doing what they're doing, like uh, the thing that they're doing across the world, I guess. But maybe America is singled out. Like anything can be can be a movie. Like uh, people like emojis. Let's do an emoji movie. People like that thing from that ad that aired a couple of fa- couple of times. Movie. <laughs> you know, anything <laughs> can be a movie. Uh, podcast the movie, who knows where that when that is coming, you know.
1: Yeah, East Screen the West Screen movie, I think it's in the works already, even <laughs> though me and Paul are not don't aren't participating in it, uh because they didn't give us a big enough share of the money, so we're not in it. So they're doing moving out without us unfortunately
0: who will lewis play <laughs> will he play paul or Luke, will he play kevin
1: it'll be lewis ku philip kern um uh, liu kai chi will have something in there as well i'm sure oh
0: that'll be lovely i would i would love for liu Kaichi to just scream his
1: way through that the entire performance
0: did port cult is not good enough damn it
1: <laughs> yeah i hear i'm I'm playing i'm here low chain one is playing me and lewis ku play fox Paul fox i mean um or it might be the way around I'm not sure Excellent.
0: <laughs> well, uh, all those links anyway will be available in the show post and the rest of the contact information goes as follows. This is Podcast on Fire, Melodrama Season 1 out of 3 on podcastonfire.com. We have plenty of shows for you to pick. We discuss Japanese cinema, Korean cinema, Sleazy cinema, Ninja cinema, and occasionally do bonus episodes every now and again. Email us if you have any questions or feedback. What's your favorite uh, tearjerker from Hong Kong cinema? Fire at googlemail.com Join us over on social media. We have handy buttons leading to our social media presence. First of all, Facebook. The button leads you to our page. But you can also search out our discussion group where we post show updates and discussion topics and what have you. That is called Podcast on Fire Network. Click the Twitter button to follow our tweets. Click the iTunes button to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Well, Once you're there, leave a star rating or even a written comment about uh, what you thought of the show or any of the shows on the network. And finally, click the Stitcher radio button if you want to stream our shows. The button will lead you to their website presence, but they have an application available for free on the Apple App Store or Google Play, so you can stream us on the go. And I write about the variety of Hong Kong and Taiwanese movies. Of um, I have a specific focus on a couple of genres, but also do quick reviews of uh, of uh, almost any genre my my focus is mostly category free taiwanese cinema of a specific kind and period not necessarily the uh, the drama and the arthouse uh, i'm i'm more keen about the children's movies featuring lots of special effects and face pissing that's what i like from taiwan <laughs> 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 I
1: just double ticked there I was like face pissing yep. look up look up, child
0: mind. of peach and any of those uh, peach boy movies uh, that's their sort of go to uh, go to type of humor they are children's movies after all so there's a lot of diarrhea and face pissing and lots of cool special effects and awesome action choreography as well So they're kind of Sue for kids you know what I mean like Sioux warriors but for kids <laughs> Taiwanese cinema is a treasure trove of uh, fun stuff not just the, the big festival friendly directors you know uh, it's all good so so good I uh, post basic uh, spoken audio video reviews over at slyk and my tweets are available at so good reviews so in the meantime we're gonna take a short musical break so listen to some uh, maybe some saxophone music from Celavi Montrie uh, from 90 19- and death movies from 1993 and after that break we're gonna review it so first uh, first entry in the melodrama season coming up <laughs> And welcome back. In our first review of this season, is of Derek Yee's *Salavi Monchiri* from 1993. And plot from my review of the film: uh, Depressed and getting nowhere in his uh, creativity as a musician, uh, jazz musician Kit, played by lao La Ching Wan breaks up with his uh, girlfriend who's a singer and she's played by Karina Lau and moves to a more quiet part of Hong Kong. In the flat below him resides a family of street performers and the kit befriends the youngest girl in the family Min, played by Anita Yun. She's a positive, life-affirming and uh, upbeat girl that uh, over time helps Kit to discover the joy in life again and creativity in the process that he thought he lost. Their growing friendship is soon turning into a romance, but a childhood trauma of means is about to perhaps shatter everything. I should state, before we do the quick opinions, uh, this series, because I think it's important to discuss how these movies deal with melodrama and drama, and if they are touching or not, this series will contain spoilers. So um, just so you know that, Kevin, that you are allowed to uh, talk of what happens to the main characters, because I think uh, otherwise the purpose of the series is a little bit uh, too uh, fussy, in my opinion. So, uh... Well,
1: spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, in melodramas, people tend to die. So. Quite a
0: bit, quite a bit. So, you know, Coso over at Love HK Film, he it's it's uh, an in joke review wise that uh, whenever someone gets a terminal disease, he writes like a TM as a trademark in the <laughs> in the reviews because it's a it's a go to plot uh, and all of that. It all so, goes to hell, oh, yeah. That's exactly I mean. that too. Uh, but uh, as for short opinion, uh, uh, let me throw over to you for a short opinion first of all of uh, Sylvie Moncherey. And uh, have you seen the movie before, by the way?
1: Yes, but actually, I haven't seen the film in quite a few years. Um, It came out in 1993, and that was pretty much the sort of, that was the year I moved to the States, actually. So um, that was at a time when I wasn't quite caught up on Hong Kong cinema because, you know, I moved to America and it wasn't. And actually, since when I moved to America, I got more involved with watching Hong Kong films because that was sort of our connection to home. So we rented a lot of Hong Kong films. We watched a lot of stuff on Laserdisc. Oh, now you're speaking my language. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's right. Um, all about a long. Actually, which we will talk about next. I hadn't seen the whole thing because I, there was a time when I was watching. That was a, when I was really young and I wasn't watching Hong Kong films. So, bit more share was sort of one of these sort of seminal films, I guess, when I was growing up. But I hadn't seen it um, in quite a few years, so it's good to sort of reconnect. And watching it now in hindsight, you sort of pick up a lot of self-aware things that Derek Gee puts in or if you watch uh viva v- 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 erotica you see that uh Derek Yee was in a very self-aware period of his directorial um career and and um v C- Mon- Moncherry* was actually effectively the beginning of the most critically successful and the most commercially successful period of his directorial career so but we talk about the sort of um uh, cl- um history of melodrama right melodrama usually the female is is the victim in in I guess since sort of 40s 50s I learned in in, in film school that 40s and 50s uh, woman is always a victim melodramas and this one is no different. But um it I like that B. Mosheri sort of does a couple of different things and partly is sort of Derek Gees dedication or devotion to realism when he does it. Um he shot the film on location in Yamate where the film takes place uh, near Temple Street where there are a lot of these uh, street performers still exist, and, and it sort of captured the the, the life and the, the the apartments the old apartments that these people live in and the neighborhood and sort of the vibe the neighborly vibe of the whole thing and, and the whole film was shot in sync sound which is very rare I think for films uh, at that time and, and I kind of like that that approach to the to the, to the, to the um, uh, genre because the melodrama genre we all kind of know that it's, it's very stylized and a lot of music and it's a lot of emotional Pushing you to sort of inter- in a lot of emotional highs and emotional lows, but Sailor Moon Sherry doesn't really do that until the third act, and pretty late into the third act, if I may add, because we all know the the character um, uh, Ming doesn't the, the cancer part doesn't really come back until about an hour or ten minutes into the film in an hour and a half film.
0: Yeah, exactly. It doesn't overstay its welcome, there. Uh, but so so if we keep it short for now, uh, has it survived? I mean, is it uh, engaging and touching? If we just keep it simple for now, I. Th-
1: think that it still does although i i think we're in a in a time where we're very aware of archetypes and character archetypes and i couldn't resist realizing that the the Anita yuen character is probably uh, one of the earliest examples in hong kong cinema of the manic pixie dream girl i don't know if you heard of this
0: no but i can imagine i mean i i i know what i when i see the character that this is uh, this is a picture perfect character of positivity obviously at least for an hour 10
1: Well, according from Ricky Wikipedia, the manic pixie manic pixie dream girl is a static character who, quote unquote, have eccentric personality quirks and unabashedly girlish. They serve as the romantic interest for a most often brooding and depressed male protagonist. So that's exactly what she does, and you you could tell that sort of at that time, uh, Derek you just couldn't avoid that stereotype.
0: Well, uh, uh, me not knowing the stereotype didn't react to that as much. I just uh. When I put my critical cap on, it was about is this too much of a portrayal of positivity? And uh, and uh, and and ultimately, for for my short opinion, uh, the the whole package is well handled and it's uh, touching. And I think Durkee's greatest strength is how he sort of naturally handles the dramatic but positive scenario. Again, the realism angle. He he isn't uh, intruding as much uh, with style or anything. He sometimes verges on taking the super positive. Positivity of Anita Yoon's character to sort of cloying places, but he never gets there. It's just verges on it because um, she is uh, ultimately good as well. Um, uh, so, so uh, it's 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 positive as a movie, but it's also heartbreaking. Uh, but that doesn't uh, mean that you can w- will walk away depressed or anything. So we we will uh, get into that. But let's let's speak a little bit about uh, Anita Yoon. I think we we saw here this uh, breakthrough of her as a dramatic actress um, and she certainly deserved that. She is mostly known I think in the western way as a more bubbly comedic actress in movies uh, whether you think of I don't know, uh, Chinese Feast for instance is a movie that uh, comes to mind and that has always been um, somewhat troublesome for me. It could go wrong if you leave her a little bit to her own devices her comedic personality could be a bit um, grating uh, in my opinion. But right, she's
1: very much like Miriam Jön, where where you have the, per- the persona takes over sort of the acting, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. So it's it, it sort of um, here we see that it makes sense that she is, you know, a bubbly persona that is very uh, upfront and very um, extrovert as well. So what is your sort of uh, like or dislike history with Anita Jön dramatically versus comedy? What do you think uh, she works best in, if not both both camps?
1: Well, I, I think um, a, a lot of... Growing up in Hong Kong cinema, you see these actors so often. They're in films of different genres so often that we never... I, I never try and sort of typecast her, or I never thought of her as a singular genre actress. Although, yes, her best-known you know, films are comedies. I always thought of her as just a sort of a, a very bubbly, like you said, a very bubbly... A, pretty much a a, a Miriam of the 90s, but where she never tried as hard i think i mean i don't think she is um a very forced actress not to say that she's very subtle but i think she works well in in most genres that she works in both drama and in uh, and in comedies
0: and i tend to agree um it, it's movies like god of gamblers free that i uh, the early stage for leon Lai god of gamblers that they uh they, they, they strike that sort of ill balance between um uh, because she actually gets sick in that movie too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they, they strike that ill balance between like, okay, I need to do your thing. And uh, I'll do some drama later and that'll be, uh, that'll be hurrah. Uh, view engagement that way. I'm Wong Jing. Um, but it, and it doesn't really work. Uh, it, it goes over that, uh, that uh, sort of limit and that balance is a little bit ill. But I think Derek realized that how much he should let her play and be bubbly and when he should stop uh, before it becomes... It never Because it never verges on comedy. It's not a comedic role. It's a, it's an upbeat girl. You know, it's a positive girl. So I think that's what he's aiming for. And I think that balance is struck well. And uh, that means the, the drama will work. Like the switch into drama. But we'll, we'll get into that. But speaking of Derek E. Last time you were on, we talked about uh, his first movie as director. the very angry social drama, The Lunatics. And we acknowledge that angry Derek E is a bit of a preference he is dramatically sound and strong but how does you know the more lighter touch uh, lighter dramatic touch of Derek work for you
1: if looking at this movie or thinking of you know Full Throttle or Lost in Time or whatever well I've always been pretty impressed with the way that Derek E connects to realism, the way that he doesn't go sort of over the top in terms of his depiction of society and people. And I think he has a real sort of expert touch on just getting enough of that realism to connect to people, but without Going overboard and actually still having space, having leaving him enough room to dramatize his stories, and he clearly has a care. I think what would we say, a um, uh, sort of a care for the people that he depicts or the society that he depicts. And like I said earlier, that 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 touch of touch of realism for this film is what sort of I think lifted this film over for me. Otherwise, I mean, when you listen to the Chinese title, um, which is New Endless Love, because the original Endless Love or Love Without End. We know it as a, as, a, as a tearjerker, you know, with terminal illness. So Hong Kong audience, when they see that name, the Chinese title, they know what to expect. hurrah
0: again, heartbreak.
1: <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Heartbreak. So that's the surprise, right, that Derek E. brings in this, this realism and, and, and he, he brings it back down to earth so that we can relate before he starts the heartbreak. And I think that's a real expert touch that he, he, he never got back, unfortunately, after uh, I think Lost in Time.
0: No, it's been a little bit hit and miss, I suppose. Uh, I mean, I mean, I know he did um, the uh, beer comedy with uh, Miriam Young and Daniel Wu, so he had a little bit of comedy in him. Then Shinjuku Incident a few years ago, which I think was maybe slightly above half a good film. It's uh, It sort of derailed when Daniel Wu turned into the Joker, essentially. And then he then went sort of south. But uh, then I haven't fo- followed him aside his mainland work. Um, I'm going to see Swordmaster. I, I do like the sound of uh, Swordmaster, his um, Death Duel remake. But uh, we'll, we'll we'll get into that. And, and just to mention a little bit about the Sing Sound again. Indeed, it was rare for Hong Kong movies to shoot in Sing Sound. We had a movie every now and again. Even in the 80s, we could have um, a movie. I remember, out of all movies I remember, from 1989, there's a movie called Gift from Heaven with uh, Carol Chang. I think Joey Wong, possibly. And that was Sing Sound, when you didn't expect it to be Sing Sound. And and also DMB were keen on uh, amping up professionalism in their various romantic comedies and dramas by shooting in Sing Sound. And even shooting like... Goofy stuff like a bite of love with George Lamb as a vampire in sync sound and Dolby surround. <laughs> <laughs> like what the hell, DMV? What you t- like? The effort is appreciated, but come on, <laughs> save the money for something else. I don't know. <laughs> well,
1: I, actually, I think that Derek E. might have shot Salavi in sync sound because the film was actually a self-financed film. Uh, he also had really? made. Yes, he actually made a few films in the eighties of course, you know, People's Hero and blah blah. But then um in eighty nine, between eighty nine and ninety three, he returned to acting. But it was that during that time he was trying to get Sailor uh, uh Salem off the ground and all the companies turned him down. So he had to turn to, uh, uh, I think he had to borrow money from a few um, uh, businessmen. And then uh, there was even a rumor that he had put up his own house, even though that was actually false. Um, They had to turn to private investors to get this film made. So it was shot on the cheap. And and it was at a time when no one expected this film to be hit because melodrama wasn't a thing at the time, especially dramas, right? Because that was a time when uh, period martial arts film was sort of uh, on the uh, was was the commercial genre. So no one gave him any money to do this film, and I guess that's kind of ha- why he had to shoot it. Um, everything sort of raw.
0: Is Film Unlimited the company that came out of it? Is that his? Because that's the logo that opens the film.
1: Yes, that was actually the first production of Film Unlimited, and that's why he had to shoot the film. That's why Film Unlimited was established because he had to produce this film on his own.
0: That, that I didn't know, but uh, that's, uh, that's autistic, um, integrity, I suppose, and drive, uh, which leads us into w- what we sort of get established in the beginning of the movie, seeing Lao Ching-Wan's character of uh, Kit and uh, him interacting with his uh, singer girlfriend. And, uh, you know, he isn't a character that, at least anymore is into this for the money. That, that is something that is a burden on him, and people are sort of prodding him. Come on, man, write write a hit, uh, write pop music instead of sticking to presumably what he likes, which which is uh, you know jazz. And th- there is a rift already between his character and Karina Lau's character. That she she is in the business, so she can't sort of socially. Uh, leave when he likes uh, to leave a social event or, or anything, but she isn't, fortunately she isn't this crappy character because she, uh, later scenes will reveal that she speaks truths that he feels are difficult to hear, but they need to be heard, so Karina Lau is fortunately isn't painted as this uh, diva bitch or anything she has a diva moment, but uh, she is rather, like like she 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 tries to steer his her boyfriend onto the right path, even though the business is affecting her to that degree where, well, I can't leave. I, I need to be here and a schmooze and stuff.
1: Well, I actually felt sorry for the character from the beginning, because let's face it, the Lao tzu character was kind of a dick. Yeah. Know, from yeah. the very beginning. And, and again, talking about sort of, I guess, I think he, Derek, he might have written that the, the setup for the um, Lao tzu character after he got turned down uh, by the investors for this film. And you could see that that was a period when he was, he kept talking about characters who, who couldn't um do what they want, and who had artistic you know, who artistic integrity, uh, but kept being mocked by the commercial world. You saw that in Sherry, the love Showing character, and also the love Showing character in Viva Erotica, um, the man who makes a racing movie that no one appreciated. That was probably
0: <laughs> Fufrado. It's not subtle and he kills himself in Viva <laughs> Erotica as well. He jumps off a roof. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. So, uh, and and thankfully, our Derek uh, didn't do that. But uh, yeah, I I know you told me that that he he pours his heart out on uh, screen in um, in sort of subtle and sort of upfront ways uh, too. And uh, because he has a bit afraid of anger before, so why why close his heart to to these uh, kind of things? But I, I think he really is successful when not being intrusive, as as is in the case of this film. You know, telling stories, shooting professionally with sync sound, but. It's not a flashy film, not at all. It's the fo- its focus is acting, dialogue, character, and and trying to avoid flash or dipping into tropes that are too familiar for audiences, where we can sort of map this out ourselves, and and we and therefore we don't yawn at any cliches. Um, so I think uh, that emerges of Der and and really whenever Hong Kong cinema, especially its better directors of the nineties, when they shot drama, it was so. St- straight and natural and so matter of fact and that was its greatest strength and you can apply that to a director that has actually has a cameo in this film we have we, we got plenty of directors flashing by in this film but one of the directors that makes a cameo is jacob chung and at this time i think he not sure he had made cage man yet but that's certainly a high watermark of very it's a social drama but it doesn't provide any Huge flash thing. thing. it's just jacob shooting a fairly long fairly hard-hitting social drama sync sound as well but isn't uh isn't saying like hey, hey hey i'm jacob chung and being all flashy like that so uh, uh, which is cool but but both derek and jacob certainly has changed their attack you know, or maybe had to change the tack because they both work in the mainland nowadays jacob chung and uh, derek e
1: yeah um both of them mainly work in the mainland now although derek e has had uh, a lot more um luck with uh shooting um well getting his films off the ground i mean he's he's got a pretty diverse uh body of work in the mainland now even though um his last couple of films did not do well commercially but Jacob Chan has had a much tougher time getting his the, the films he wanted to get made uh in the mainland
0: it's a bit of a shame, and uh, I mean, I, I don't blame a director for trying out new things, though. I, I, I'm i not saying that Jacob Chung should only do Cage Man and Beyond the Sunset and those kind of movies. Uh, uh, Midnight Fly, for instance, uh, uh, a great uh, punishing and Moy uh, movie. Um, so so it, it's a sign of the times, I suppose, in business. Uh, but but yeah, he's one of the first directors who makes a cameo playing the uh, fortune teller that doesn't do very well at uh, telling it, Lao Ching Wan's fortune, because Lao Ching Wan is, is in the everything is shit phase.
1: Well, but he was right. Actually, that fortune teller was right. He was foreshadowing. Yeah,
0: I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I believe that was true in the end. So, <laughs> but, but, uh, but, but, yeah, it's a very, uh, it's a very compelling, like, earthy, common man and women, and hopefully relatable tale to audiences. Uh, not cinematic per se. And I mean, having that family be a troupe of street performers that mostly perform operas. Uh, amidst midnight snack eaters essentially there there is an audience there but they're 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 performing next to stalls or what have you and i guess that might have been quite compelling and relatable for hong kong audiences so what can you see and feel in terms of that when you look at uh, how derek portrays uh, portrays them i mean is it compelling as a hong kong person to see your real world on screen like this
1: well i was trying to look back at what made this film such a hit i mean it was it made 30 million hong kong dollars which would still actually which a huge, huge amount of the time. And it was it was um, partly because the film had played in festivals uh, overseas and a lot of buzz was building and, and turns out this film was good. I, I think what connected to the audience wasn't... I think it was one word of mouth. I think people really enjoyed the film and obviously people liked the film. And I think part of it is, is really Derek E.'s strength, again, in creating humane characters and depth, you know, characters with depth and real characters, you know, people who felt weird or and just... You know, a lot. Of, I think uh, what the problem with melodramas is that um, the direct, the, the characters sort of become pawns mm-hmm. of the act uh, of the director. And here it doesn't feel like that.
0: No, no, not so. It's certainly not. I mean, the danger is Anita Yun's character. I think if that positivity is gonna go overboard, which I think it never really does. But uh, how about you? Were you ever like scared that this is a way too unrealistic character because she's so in your face and sort of positive and upbeat or what did you think watching men in 2017
1: in well see here uh, that's where I, I i'm biased because i know about manic the manic pixie dream girl this this phenomenon right and i went to film school and i see other people writing these sort of characters and i and i you you watch more films and you read more film criticism and you pick up these things right so so it it yeah it, it became more apparent to me years on since I've seen the film now that I know about these sort of structure and the thoughts that go and in, go into go behind these characters that I start recognizing these archetypes mm-hmm. and and it distracted me a little bit but I think most most audiences wouldn't think that way and I think they that they would gearly I mean they would naturally gear towards or pivot towards the the any your characters she's, she's such a positive force and she's just a i mean it was such a great performance it's such a scene stealing performance it is it is
0: it It only it's it's only like a select few moments where it gets to me that okay we've overstated it a little bit so let's move into the heartbreak <laughs> which which he does. but uh, otherwise i think it's it's just wonderful like she's very unfiltered where it doesn't look like she's thinking like an adult she it looks like she's thinking like a kid because she's more like hey what are you doing who are you Like, what are you up to? Robert and like, should I talk to him? Is that the adult thing to do? No, she's like, hey, what's up? What are you doing? Are you up yet? It's it's 10 a.m. Better get up. And it's, she has to deal with this character who's just have a constant frown on his face, but that doesn't face her at all.
1: You have to think about back then in 1993 that Anil Yuan wasn't a well-known actress. She had won, um, I think, a Best New Actor award a year ago. But, I mean, this wasn't a time when the internet was all over the place where we know someone right away. There's no social media and people haven't seen this girl before or that much or she's not like a household name yet. So, so to have this performance coming out of nowhere and be such a commercial hit it was it's, i mean it took everyone by surprise that this who is this girl who is this word i mean it's almost like we're almost like the love chain one character in the film like who's this girl where did she come from where why are we in love with her right away
0: exactly because he does make us smile and that's her mission whether, whether she uh, thinks about it thoroughly or not that this guy needs a pickup well i can provide that and but 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 she thinks more deeply than that that the more she knows about his creativity and uh, of a lack of creativity that she starts to encourage that and uh and him living in such close proximity to people who are performing and trying daily to make enough to keep going so that's also like a factor for him to sort of wipe his frown off his face and uh not be selfish and not be a dick because he kind of is. Uh, he's it we don't know if he's burned his he's burned his bridges voluntarily or involuntarily, but I, I I kind of think that he's done some horrible stuff that he shouldn't have because Karina Lau sort of calls him on it um in a way uh, throughout the movie. and and again, not in a crappy way. I think she is uh, in that way, she was good for him. She told troops that were very hard to hear, and he sort of ran out because of that uh, and 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 that is relatable clear coherent storytelling as well
1: the only bad guy the only villain in the film is the bone cancer
0: i guess so i guess so yeah <laughs> indeed which, uh, which which is uh, which is life which is sort of the french title i believe i, I believe that's sort of translation of the french title is something like uh, that that's life my love or my darling or something like that but uh, don't don't quote me that i'm just go on that i'm just going by gut feeling but the, it's the the side characters, even though it doesn't seem like they do much, they're wonderful to have because the movie is populated by new actors and veteran actors, and obviously that adding to that sync sound, we also got the addition of obviously uh, Fung Bobo, Patrina, Portune, and uh, to an extent Kerim, uh, which is not so, someone you called upon always to do dramatic fare. She was more of a little bit of an ex- exploitation actress, but I think they're they're wonderful even if they don't have these uh moments where we've now crafted your moment you know they're merely <laughs> good supporting performers that adds to the family vibe and we and the understanding of the family. So i, I think paul chun and feng Bo, they have select moments that are awesome and we might extract different moments you and i one of my favorite moments with uh, paul chun thankfully not playing a dick in this movie you know he's a good guy (laughs) (laughs) um one of the best moments is uh anita Young's character is listening to Lao one's character playing saxophone um, uh, on the floor above and she's asking her uncle it's not her father her uncle who plays saxophone is uh, you know listening to him is he any good is he and does he play any good well he's actually composing a song really i don't know not sure (laughs) that kind of walks away <laughs> and I love that he's, 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 it was super funny to me even though it's a total throwaway moment in actuality but uh, uh, and my favorite Fung Bo Bo moment is when she stares down Lao Ching Wan in the doorway when she knocks on the door after Anita Yun has spent the night um, at, at his house and he opens the door and there is Fung Bo Bo with her big glasses and her big hair just staring him down
1: <laughs> it's interesting how, how you were talking about how that these supporting actors don't have moments but actually they each have a moment though i mean look at um paul chun has his um i mean the scene where he, he picks up the trumpet and that that you know the in mood scene and of course pong bobo has his um the song at the end and even carrie Hume has sort of her moment it sort of doesn't
0: feel that way because it's so natural and realistic but you're 100 correct that but but it's not crafted as okay we gotta shoot your award one moment now it's sort right, of just right. naturally part of the of the uh, flow of the film, but but you're right, there there are moments to extract, and maybe we'll all extract different moments. Uh, for me, it was that very funny Paul Chun moment where he says, "I don't know, not sure." That walks away, <laughs> uh, which, which would have been good in post dub, I suppose, but it just uh, comes to life a little bit more since we have live sound um, on the set. And I was I was wondering, as wouldn't that be more expensive on a low budget movie to shoot sing sound? Have you ever gotten a, an impression of that yourself?
1: Well, as far as know, it would cost more money to record the dialogue because you have to rent a studio and you have to bring the actors back. So actually it would cost more money and time to to bring back the actors to re-record the lines.
0: Yeah, so as we move on uh, in, in the movie, like even mo- even little moments, uh, I, I just want to highlight this, of drama that, that is about transition for the characters. Uh, Lao Ching-Wan goes back to his old apartment and leaves the keys behind because he's now going to leave that life behind. And their key doesn't make, he doesn't stop the movie for ten seconds for us to register that and leave the keys behind. It's just he leaves the keys behind, Anita Eita registers that for a beat, and then we're off. And I yeah, like I know. that. He's
1: a very efficient. Yeah, he's a very efficient dramatic director. Although we'll get to this. I guess we'll come back to. The, I'll come back to this when we get to the ending, right? But we can, sorry, keep going. Keep go ahead.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's it's obviously again we're gonna we're gonna spoil uh, spoil that. But uh, how how do you think? Um, is it a well-developed romance? Because it is, after all, a romance. Do you, do you think it uh, makes sense that these characters would fall in love, considering how they get on and how she starts to make him smile again and uh, make him feel creative again? Do you think it's um, it, it's a, an effective romance at the same time?
1: Well, from the title, we know right on that it will be a romance, um, obviously. But it's okay. I I couldn't help but think it was a little creepy, because I, I, I had no idea how old the Lao character was, perhaps in his mid-30s. I guess. And of course, Anita Ryan makes it uh, clear that, that she was uh, 20, her character was 23 at the time, I think. So you have that age gap there, but actually um, at the time of shooting, uh, Lao Chen was, wasn't was even 30 yet. So he was still <laughs> 29. Um, so the age gap isn't that big. You know, I, I think they've met, ma- they match. I mean, it became one of these sort of more legendary. So sort of screen pairings, the, of the '90s, uh, because there's so much chemistry between the two actors, and of course, Derek's handling of of the character dynamics and and the way he directs the actors, uh, I I think it's it's a believable romance. But for me, it's I can't say it without bias because I've I've known this film for 20 years, 20 plus
0: years, and I've seen it before, so I knew knew their interaction and I knew how it was going to end up. Of course, but uh, the it, it is fairly affecting. I mean, I'm more affected by. The, the portrayal of positivity and what that can do to a character, which is, even if they wouldn't have had a romance in there, that would have been sort of fine too. But yeah, as you alluded to, there it's in the title, so you know it's gonna lead us there. And yeah, their first kiss has swelling piano uh, piano on the score, but E is still on the top of the stairs with his camera and shooting the kiss. So he's not gonna through that much, but it is, after all, a screen kiss, so... Um in a way, the movie is—I mean, it's professional, but it's a little unrefined too. In a mightily charming way, there's a walk and talk with uh, Sylvia Chang. I've forgotten what's in this movie. She's—it's noted as a cameo, but yes, a couple of scenes. So uh, there's a walk and talk with her and Lao ching Wan, where they she he finds out about her illness, and they walk as people would walk. But the score is way too fast for the scene. It's layered in like in sort of a tempo of the scene is really odd. So in a way, it's a movie. A low budget movie that's as refined as it is a little bit unrefined too but it's not uh, it, it doesn't ruin it it's just one of those like should have thought a little bit about the tempo of the scene guys because they're not running and talking like she's ill she's ill she's ill
1: <laughs> it was made at a time it was made at a time when so few sort of character dramas are being made in Hong Kong cinema that that you know you're working with cinema tradition that is mainly commercial and it's about beating your face and, and, and you know making sure the audience entertains so when the directors sort will of try something new sort of make something more down to earth like this i think it's and, and especially in 1993 when you know cinematic style let's face it wasn't as refined as we are now mm-hmm. i i think it's 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 sort of understandable yeah. that you know that there'll be sort of these little flaws
0: exactly so it's one of those things like I noticed. I made a note. I might speak of the note. Uh, it's one of those things that certainly does not take me out of the moment because I'm, I, I, I can separate the two. It's just one of those things. I, I certainly never noticed it during my first or second viewing back in the day. It has little sweet moments too, uh, and even though it's a lively scene where Lao Chin Wan just steps in. To join the uh, jam, you know, the trump- trumpet saxophone jam that the family has and their friends, where he just steps in. And here's where I, I think there If I didn't accept his directing before, which I did, but I think this moment is where I realized that he is so confident that he's not gonna slow down a moment like that. Because if you remember Kevin in a movie, Louching One just launches into a scene and starts playing, rather right. than like, look at the saxophone. Look at the guys. Look at the saxophones. Maybe I should. No, it's just like do, 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 I'm joining the thing now, and I think that that's perfect. I think that's perfect. That is cinematic and uh, true to character and true to what has been established, and, and rather sweet and funny to uh, to see to see these characters get on. And and it's the power of music too. Like uh, music like that can't make you depressed at all. You know, it's uh, it's joyous.
1: Well to be honest, as someone who used to play in a in a band in high school, I looked at that and I went, He didn't change the read. Yo, that's gross. <laughs> he should have changed the read. But um so that that caught me a bit off guard. Ew, not you want I know, ew. <laughs> I know like, ew, dude. But um otherwise, no, it, it's a great scene and I think it's um it's one of those sort of joyous again. Watching sort of all about along and and there's that random dance scene thrown in and then you have that versus the way that Derricky handles this jam thing in in C'est La La Vie Mon Cherie. I think this one, it's a much more lively. It actually serves like it serves sort of a narrative purpose. Right. It shows that 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 this character is being integrated into part of the family and he just sort of jumps in like like, you know, there's no hesitation. and, And I think it's a good moment.
0: And, and the song also builds. Uh, it's an old song. i have got to look up the title for my own for, for my own research. But I, I don't have the name of the song. But uh, it, it, in the uh, mood. In the mood. In the mood, indeed. Uh, yes. And it sort of builds towards a crescendo, like towards the end. And it's a perfect song for that scene in that way, you know. So quite quite enjoy it. And and you can't help but to smile during the last, so to say, good scenes of them having fun together. Lao Chin Wan laughs at. Her dress, because Anita Yunus has dressed up a little bit, and he gives her a rose. and uh, It's one of those, like, I can watch a couple of these scenes on the loop of them getting on in sync sound and just having fun, and uh, now he's changed forever. And then, of course, it all turns tragic, and you wonder, is the movie going to be able to balance its positive message with the fact that life deals with this set of cause, too, for my money's worth? Even though it is sad, what happens? I mean, she dies at the end uh, when she gets cancer again. Uh, the, the positive message certainly isn't squashed out. So Derek, it isn't angry derek E all of a sudden emerging, which I think is uh, the key here. It would have been kind of wrong, I think, if he would have been the cynical all of a sudden, like, ha, ah, I made people's hero in the lunatic, so fuck you,
1: <laughs> I'm going
0: to take it out. <laughs>
1: No, I don't think he's gonna start going into like a rant about the lacking medical care of Hong Kong healthcare, whatever. No, I mean, it just went straight to the the, the 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 melodrama part.
0: It, it it's an iconic scene, I think, when that beat happens when um she uh, uh squats down to look at um, things being sold on the street like uh, jewelry, and when she can't get up on her feet again, I think that's an iconic moment because it's you don't expect it. I didn't. I mean, I I didn't know if it's uh. Melodrama roots through the title and all of that, so it might be her award moment. you you could say, because it, it that little moment is played well. But what I think is her award moment is when Sylvia Chang is visiting her, like presumably the day after, and Anita Young's character is, uh, tying her shoes and getting ready to go home, and he's talking really fast, like I, my my bed is probably very uncomfortable, so it's probably dad, and uh, yeah, so you know, can I go now? And Sylvia Chang doesn't say anything or much and uh, as anita yun is tying her shoes she is sort of slumped down she doesn't look up and
1: so sort of realized that yeah we're here again yeah the diagnosis scene i think because and, and and we were talking about her sort of comedic the bubbly persona right so it's and i think it's very smart to have her jump to the other spectrum. We see the other spectrum of that side that we see sort of the real her at that moment. She's angry.
0: She turns really angry.
1: Exactly. I think it's a brilliant moment, actually. A brilliant moment of acting and also of setting up by Derek E.
0: And not, in a way, not doing too much either. Just slump slump down, like act through your body, essentially. Slump down. And yes, she has hysterical moments post this, but it's on the right side of that balance we've been talking about because... She, she goes to the other side of the spectrum, as you said, and now she's angry at everybody. Like, she said to, says to Sylvia Chang, you lied to me. You did this. And, you know, you can't blame her, I suppose. Because she, it's not, uh, malice. It's not part of her character to, to blame. It's just, it's emotional reaction towards what she thought she'd overcome. But, uh, it's, um, it's, if they ever, like, shown, showed this as, uh, showed award clips for like nomina- nominations, Anita Yun, I would show that clip of her sl- slumped down uh, while she's tying her shoes. It doesn't sound like a good clip, but I think that's when she earned her award in, a- in actuality.
1: I think it's the next scene, but, but I mean, I, I like, I'm into these 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 big award monologues, right? Mm-hmm. I suppose. Yeah. So that's, that's a scene that I would go, you know, where she's like, you said this wouldn't happen again, then you broke your promise. That Yeah, I think, and, and it gives you a hint of what she went through before, when she had the, the previous the cancers. And I think it's, a, and they don't have to talk about it that much. She never talks about her past at length. Instead, you see, you sort of get a hint of what she went through, through how she's dealing with it now, the the anger and the suffering and all that stuff, and I think it's quite revealing.
0: As corny as as sort of some of the ending beats seem, they they managed to stay he managed to stay afloat there, Guy, because m- the mix of these two things, like the dignity and the possible death that's going to occur, we we know by the end that it does, but the dignity of that because she tries to accept what's going on rather than be hysterical slash also being proposed to you know marriage you know even if there there's a um, there, there's a terminal disease here on on the cards and it it, it works because of what he has done previously we like these characters we like this cinematic style and it just kind of goes to show that if you if you believe in this content and the script and give it to the right on and off screen hands then tropes and cliches are not going to be bothersome at all, really. Um, and uh, it, it really helps that he ends the movie in a very uh, low-key way. You know, we don't see her in her deathbed or anything. We don't see her dying. We don't see Lao Ching Wan, you know, screaming at her bedside, "Don't die." It's just an off-screen thing almost. And um, yeah, so I think uh, it ultimately it, it is very touching, even though the final final scene that's not where the heartstrings strings are tugged at. It's sort of some earlier scenes and the final scenes
1: is more like, oh well. You know, it happened. It's a Sale V sort of thing, right? Exactly. V, right? But um no, I want we'll to talk about proposal scene a little bit. And I think that if you know the and again it's the sort of effectiveness of how Dereky e, I think how Derek E crafts this character. I think that scene marks the end of the transformation of the Lau Chen Wan character, Kit. Because, you know, beginning, he's this curmudgeon, and he's this, you know, guy who, who's been a dick to his girlfriend. And then he transformed into this this faithful, loving man who would even propose marriage to this girl who's dying. And, and that scene really completes his transformation.
0: And even Karina Lau gets to uh, get, she, she had a diva moment, she said she did not have time to write an autograph because she was a bit jealous early in the movie, and she comes back. She's never been a bad character other than that moment, and she comes back and lets and has a one-on-one with with Min, which is, it doesn't seem like Karina Lau is doing much, but she's certainly very good in the movie, and uh, you know is true to that character, and uh, also gets to act in sync sound, obviously, looking very beautiful, and uh, so, so I'm glad that uh, they didn't go the lazy script route with uh, to portray her as a diva bitch or anything.
1: Well, like I said, from the beginning, I never thought that she was a diva bitch. I think she was a, uh, actually... And again, the strength of the script is that he never... E never sort of corners his character into any stereotype. Like Karina Lao, yeah, she, she has her diva side, and so does um, the Lao Cheon character. And even the even the Anita Yuan character has her hysterical moments. But at the end of the day, they all sort of mean well, and they all, you know, just trying to do their best. And, and they do have their redeeming moments. Each of them have their redeeming moments. And I think that's, a, again, a very, very nice, delicate balance that he he struck. I think so.
0: Uh, I only have some very, very brief notes about some cameos, some awards, and the ending text that isn't translated on the DVD that I own. But uh, uh, I'm going to throw over to you any other notes you want to share from either beginning, middle, or end of movie.
1: Right. Can we talk about the ending? Um, the ending, it, um, so the song, so it ends with, um, and I forgot that it ends in this way, Um Uh, I thought I was going to get that bedside cry moment, actually, uh, when Enidu Yuan dies. Um, But it ends with a song by Fung Bo Bo. And again, the lyrics aren't translated, but if you know Cantonese, you hear the lyrics are actually about um, life and about facing the harshness of life and moving on and standing up and about resilience And and it's quite illuminating. Actually, I never heard heard the lyrics. I never heard the lyrics carefully. And watching it this time, I heard the lyrics, and I realized that it was the perfect ending to the film because the film is about resilience to difficulties and harshness uh, that life throws at you. And even you were mentioning about the text at the end that's not translated. Should I translate it right now?
0: Well, Well, I have a translation. So let's see if that translation from the web matches because you are more apt at translating it, obviously. So, <laughs> so uh, let's compare notes here. So you go ahead. Okay,
1: Okay, well, the text says, I think it's a quote from Min. I don't know I don't, if she actually says it in the film.
0: I, I, I believe it's a, a sort of a, a, maybe a note or a letter. It's structured like that, anyway.
1: Oh, right. That's right. Uh, it says, um, if death is the worst thing in life, then how difficult could life be? Exactly,
0: exactly. I, I, I had like, if the hardest thing in life is death, then everything else should be easy and uh, she, right, she opens right. like kit uh, addressing Lao Ching-Wan and then signs it with uh, with her name and and, and and also for the Fung Bo, Bo character she is the one in the family who hasn't sung for a while so that's what she does at the end of the movie she finally does that and, and the community it's a nice little image of characterization of community because they all donate quite healthily uh, yeah. not, uh, not just little, little tips for the nice singing and all of that, and uh, and singing the hits that the old men like to hear. But uh, they, uh, the, the community is uh, is behind behind the family, which is uh, nice and certainly not cloying at all.
1: Yeah, um, and I guess there's a note sort of from the ending that I notice in both here and and Alba along is that back then Hong Kong films or Hong Kong cinemas, and I mean literally the cinemas, um, they were into shorter films because they want to fit as many showings in a day as possible, right? So I find that, I found that the Hong Kong film storytelling was almost underwhelmingly insufficient. <laughs> uh, but here, so here the film ends right when uh, Lao Chiang walks into the room after, just after uh, any of the UN's death, and then it fades out and the film ends right away. Like it even it couldn't even wait to like pop up the sponsor's names, right?
0: I was I as I a waiting for the clock sponsor. They they always have effing clock sponsors like presented by Casio. <laughs> like,
1: have a good time, yeah, people. Exactly, that's right. Um, and and I found that both it worked in the sort of efficiency because film runs a very neat ninety eight minutes, which means that cinemas can fit in a new show ten minutes later, and that means two two hours two. So one show for two hours, and they can run six shows in one day. And it ended in such a efficiently Hong Kong cinema way. And yet, that sort of subtlety of the ending, you know that um, uh, Derek E. sort of meant to end the film that way. I, I I was sort of of two minds. I was a bit cheated. I felt a bit cheated because the film just ended like that, right? But at the same time, the way that it's done in such a subtle way that... Okay, I think Derek E. meant it to be like that, rather than trying to meet the cinema's demands. I don't know what you think about
0: it. No, I I think it's perfect because it's it it isn't undercooked or anything. I think it's uh, we we don't need to see anything else. We get it because he he, he doesn't just walk into a room like he buries his face in his uh, in his hand in his palm, and uh, we get it. And uh, why why not end it like that? It's not like it's uh, the end screen, and then it's over because you know we we got a letter, we got some credits, and that's the beats needed and planned seemingly so there was no need for a funeral scene or anything like that to add another five minutes to the thing or uh, so so yeah i if it was a con uh a constraint to sort of by others the exhibition uh like the people uh, exhibiting the movie to end it quickly then it worked out but 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 i don't think it was like that i think uh, it's dirty all the way
1: Okay, I think we'll come back to this when we talk about the ending shot of our Along. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> some minor notes here. Directing cameos, uh, Sylvia Chang, which, actor and director, of course. So we can say that's a directing cameo. Uh, Herman Yao pops up wearing a band t-shirt even in 1993. He still does. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> Hong Kong Cinema's premium heavy metal fan. Uh, long hair still and still wearing band t-shirts, so blessing for it. Uh, Jamie Look, also director and actor, turns up. Um, and musician and actor, if I'm not mistaken, Tatslao, turns up. Looking like an anime character with uh, with longer hair on one side of his face. <laughs> and looking sort of very 90s, Tatslao. Uh, in one of the sort of jam scenes that um, that they have at the bar, so uh, there was a couple of uh, actors and uh, behind the scenes uh, personnel that Durkee, um got to um, uh, got to shoot and uh, as cameos and what have you. So, ah,
1: you missed one. Pe- Peter Chan also shows up in the opening scene.
0: I, f- I I registered it, but I didn't think it was him, and then I never like rewound or anything. So.
1: Yeah, that was actually him. Um, He sat next to the character who, um, actually that was also a director, but I forgot his name, but the director, the actor, whoever was telling him to write uh, that he would listen to a commercial song written by Kid and the guy next to him who didn't have a line that that's Peter Chan. This
0: was a multiple award winner, as we said. Best Picture at the 1994 Hong Kong Film Awards. Best Director for Derek Yee. Best Screenplay for Derek Yee. Best Actress, Anita Yun. Best Supporting Actor, Paul Chun, Best Supporting Actress, Fung Bo Bo. Latching one, I believe, was nominated, but uh, didn't win. It got hailed all the way up until uh, award season. So, what a slam dunk. Uh, All right. So as for availability, uh, Universe handled the now quite old DVD release, which is you know sufficient or was sufficient for its time with letterboxing, optional subtitles, but no one has reissued it yet. But we might get in the future. I mean, because correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin, didn't this go through somewhat recently an extensive remastering process? So, uh, and if so, is there any word on a Blu-ray reissue yet?
1: Yes, the film was remastered last year by the, uh, and I don't know how the Italian name goes, but I think Le Imagine lab, whatever, sorry, it's an Italian lab that's based, uh, it has a branch in Hong Kong, and they've been, and one of their first projects was uh, St. Louis Monsheri, and I think it was paid for by the Shanghai Film Festival, so that remaster played in the Shanghai Film Festival last year, but it's never played anywhere else since. It's a 4K remaster, and uh, judging by the the print that, that I saw, um uh, the different colors of the the color timing of different scenes—it definitely needed a remaster and also the subtitles, by the way. I don't know how you you do it, Paul—the <laughs> the English subtitles.
0: It's uh, I mean, I'm pretty stupid, so I I, I can accept anything, but uh, it, they they seem grammatically correct anyway. <laughs> so, but uh, in terms of translation, I can't judge it obviously.
1: It was definitely very off, so it definitely needed a new translation. But um, I know the film is done the 4k 4k remaster and judging by the fact that the um uh, comrades almost a love story finally got its 4k remaster out on blu-ray this year we may get one i don't know it's uh the the 20th anniversary has already gone past the 30th anniversary is in 2023 The the, (laughs) the 35th anniversary is in 2018 so I don't know. We might get a screening, but even people in Hong Kong hasn't seen this this um, this remaster yet because there were rumors that it was gonna play in the Hong Kong Film Festival, but it never did. So we still haven't seen this remaster.
0: Well, well, it should because it, it is. Uh, it, it should generate some sales anyway. You know. So it it seems like a given, especially if comrades can get a a reissue which is uh, also you know a famous uh, a famous drama so we'll see i'll, I'll keep uh, holding on to this one and uh, we'll, we'll see what happens but uh, in the meantime this is uh, the first uh, movie done and uh, we're going to take a short musical break and uh, listen to some more music from uh, all about a long from 1989 chai fat and sylvia shang and little porky gone on their melodramatic adventures so uh, we'll be right back after this break 當中傷心的故事 and, and welcome back in the second re- review of this episode of uh, Melodrama Season. Number one is All About Along from 1989, a plot from my review of the film. Along, played by Chiang Fat, works as a truck driver at a construction site and is a single father of 10-year-old Porky, played by Wong Kuan Yun. He barely makes enough to support his son, but the love for him allows him to handle any backlash that might come his way. One day Porky gets an offer to appear in a television ad. It seems like a print ad and television ad, to be honest. And the director of it turns out to be... Sylvia Chang's character, Paw Paw, if you pronounce it that way, Paw is a real mother. Uh, through flashbacks, we learned that Along and Po Paw, Paw had a relationship 10 years earlier that did not end well. She left him and emigrated to America after catching him with another woman and uh, left the son in his care. Uh, through the reunion, uh, Along sees his chance to form a family uh, reform or former family now that Porky's mother is back, but under the surface there are still wounds, not yet healed, and along has to make a difficult decision regarding his son's future. So I'll, I'll, I'll take the reins for a quick bite-sized opinion first of all. Um, it's directed by Johnny Toe and he, he works the drama in a natural straight fashion that lets great actors deal with very familiar material, uh, and that makes certain moments subtle and certainly felt, but it did not earn its punishing ending. In my opinion. So, again, we're going to spoil the ending. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what do you think in short of all about Along?
1: Well, I, I think it's um, amazing if you think about if you look at it on Charn Fat's career, but I think this is one of Charon Fat's most likable performances. I mean, Charon Fat is always likable, but here it's again down to earth. It's he plays a It completely goes against the store stereotype that Western fanboys had, which is like he's a gun toting hero. And it's amazing that he made this after he became a success again with uh, Better Tomorrow. It's not, you know what, uh, you
0: know what, I, I don't think it's really amazing because he just works, th- he worked this way, you know, boom, 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 movies, 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 genres, genres, genres. <laughs> That's
1: right, five, six movies a year.
0: Exactly, being blown up by John Woo one week and then uh, <laughs> being silly with Johnny Tover next week in If Happiness or whatever. <laughs>
1: It, 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 I didn't realize it was a real melodrama until they got that whole Kramer vs. Kramer thing going on in the second half but um, no, it's a very again likeable characters, it's a very down to earth story uh, written by uh, co-written by um, Sylvia Chang and Char and Fat by the way, they, they, the two of them came up with the story
0: I saw that, that indeed uh, which was, it's not common for them at least not Char Fat to get in get in on the credits that ways.
1: No, not at all, and I guess those two are to blame for that ending, <laughs> I guess <laughs> But um, no, it's a very likable film, and um, it's much more of a Chow and fat film than Sylvia Chang film. Sorry to Sylvia Chang. Um, and Johnny Toh is still sort of at his commercial period, where he's making, he's sort of taking that TV sensibility, you know, um, a very su- uh, sufficient, a very efficient commercial filmmaker at the time, and, you know, he just held the camera and did his thing. Yeah, he, he was
0: a working director. I mean, I, I prefer his Milky Way era, if you will, because now he was steering his own sort of filmmaking destiny and was indulging in style and letting other directors for a little while anyway um, uh, croft style at his production house as well so he certainly found his voice creatively in uh, at the end of the 90s uh, but um, there was some fun you know commercial fluffy movies you know if happiness is one of my favorite lunar new year movies because it's uh it's a uh, loony new year time uh, starring Chai and Fat, because uh, if you talk uh, comedic Chai and Fat, that is unhinged comedic Chai and Fat in Eighth Happiness, which makes me very, very happy, because it's it's just uh, it's just a wonderful uh, legendary entertainment we're not going to get uh, in 2017, because uh, you can't get that many stars in one movie anymore. You don't have that many stars to put in movies anymore anyway, so <laughs> that's not today's fault or anything. It's just a matter of fact. Uh, I, I like that Chai Fat and little Wong Kwan Yun, which is a hell of a little kid actor, to be honest. He's actually one year older than me. He's 38 years old today, that little kid. So uh, it's uh, it sounded like he was the same age as, um, as he was uh, when they made the film. But I like that they have this very verbal, foul-mouthed relationship back and forth. Uh, and the whole routine of waking up and doing, their, you know, doing the morning routine. And uh, th- it doesn't seem like they're living in great living conditions, but they do have everything they need, even if they're living in a tight space, you know, it's not poverty that Johnny Toe is uh, depicting, and, uh, and Wong Kwan Yun is on, he's energetic, and he, he does not take uh, crap from Chai Fat as he takes a crap in the shower, you know, because <laughs> Chai Fat, oh, it's so stinky, get out, you asshole! Which uh, the subtitles say anyway. So they uh they're they're good together. I mean, kid actors in Hong Kong cinema any era, you know you don't know what you're gonna get. But I think I don't know how how they tapped into him as well as they did. But they, this kid is on. Oh, what do you think of little Wong Quan Yun? Because he's not depicted as super cute. Oh look at the cute little kitty. or anything he's um he's got a little um, spark in him. what do you think
1: yeah no this is a kid with an attitude and i actually didn't realize until i was looking up stuff for this this podcast that he was actually uh he's actually taiwanese he's really oh yes i didn't realize this i had no idea he actually had a a very successful role in another kid film in uh, one of those family films in taiwan that you were talking about earlier i guess um and then he made it, it big and then he had this role in in Hong Kong, and then um, after that, he quit acting for for school, and he's um he came back in 2003, did a TV series, and then he officially quit the entertainment industry. So he won't be seeing Wang Kun Yun anymore. But um, I was quite surprised to see, yeah, Wang Kun Yun was actually a Taiwan uh, Chow actor who who was cast because he had hit it big in Taiwan.
0: Wow, well, well, he uh, he certainly owned that and and done some because he they managed to squeeze the beats they need out of him, and it seems quite natural to do so. Um, and 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 I kind of like their sync, you know. It's it's a strained, it's a strained sync because he is a single father, so they're unorganized to a degree. You know, they buy chicken and rice for breakfast to eat while he's riding the little scooter that China Fat is, uh, you know, using to get to get to work and drive him to school and all of that. But it is, I guess, a, a natural and again earthy Hong Kong. You know, as you said, Johnny To points the camera at that and that brings the story to life quite sufficiently. I mean, you have to do stuff to bring it to life, but there's no need to, flat, to craft Flash to uh, to give you a snapshot of uh, Hong Kong of uh, 1988. I think it was shot in 1988 because uh, his birth date was 1978. So uh, shot then, released in 1989, it seems like, anyway. So what do you think of that in terms of... Uh, I'm, we're not going to compare it to Derek Yee, but do you think uh, Johnny Toe sort of... Does it seem like a realistic view of Hong Kong, of Hong Kong in a way?
1: Well, this is a different, different view of Hong Kong poverty. I think it almost go go overboard i mean they have they they have the these squat toilets and then you know they have the the real mess in the house and the way they live and the, the little the really sort of poverty that they they lead it's almost like movie poverty in a way i guess it's sort of hard to imagine anyone living in that real condition anyone with a child um and even the whole chicken and rice on a scooter thing where he, he's constantly putting his son in danger um, <laughs> yeah. i find that a bit Well,
0: speaking of danger, did did you notice the stunt that uh, Wong Kwan Yun does where he's he's hanging on to the truck on the construction site, that big ass truck amidst the mud and the water and stuff? He does that for a few seconds just for a laugh. That looks dangerous, you don't do that!
1: Yeah, I think they they weren't really uh, into safety at the time when they're trying to finish a film so that Char, in fact, can move on to his next film. Exactly. Just hang on to
0: it. It's not a charming, like, Marty McFly moment or anything. It's not that, you know. Uh, I mean, I was reminded of the the thing they put little Chan-Chu-Gyan through, the little child uh, child actress that was in Fatal Termination, Casino Raiders 2, Wild Search, just a little meow-meow of um, Wild Search. That actress got put through a lot, and who knows what happened to her.
1: Yeah, <laughs>
0: you, you know, <laughs> sitting in a padded room somewhere, like they they hung me out of a car, they hung
1: me out of a car, they hung me out of a car. <laughs> so yeah. So I thought, I mean, the fact that the film wasn't shot in sync sound, it was all done in post. It was all the dubbing was done in post production. Um, there was that bit of artificial feeling to it, one, especially after seeing *C V Right. It, it is
0: 1989, after all, and and, and therefore the Cantonese uh, kid that they got for Wong Kuan Yun's dubbing. It seemed like it came from him, to be honest. If we yeah. assume that he merely spoke Mandarin or, can't, or didn't speak Cantonese sufficiently for the movie,
1: yeah, I agree completely. I was surprised. That's why I was so surprised to find out he was Taiwanese. I thought I thought he spoke Cantonese. the Entire. I was wondering where the kid has been. So I looked him up, and that's how I found out.
0: But but what do you prefer? Prefer Chai, in fact, You know, when all is said and done, um, you know, is it action roles that just does it for you, or is it drama or
1: comedy that takes it up to another level for you? No, it's always the down to earth and Fat that does it for me. One of my favorite roles of Char and Fat is actually uh, Autumn's Tale, mm-hmm. the Mobu Churn film, and uh, when you see him in the comedies, obviously, and things like that. Yeah, the the of course the Better Tomorrow look is great, and his uh you know you got the killer or even uh, God of Gamblers where he's sort of playing these these amazing extraordinary character, right? Um, it's always cool to see that. But I think the ones that really that endear to my heart are the ones where he pe- played everyday people, you know, even Prison on Fire for example, even um, Autumn's Tale or Here.
0: It's really where the charisma comes out, to be honest. In my opinion, that's where the the natural charisma and charm comes out. uh, Where Prison on Fire may contain an action beta two, but it isn't designed like that. He's, um, you know, it's a prison drama and uh, and that's it. So I I attach to those as well. I mean, I might have experienced the action first and it's great. I mean, no one does it like him. But Knowing that he preferred uh, a more gentler time on a movie set, that that makes sense. It sort of shows up. I think, yeah, um, uh, it's not always perfect seeing him in comedy, but he's he certainly uh, was head and shoulders above many. That uh, were, I mean, if you see a movie like *Romancing Star*, which I don't remember very well, but I'm sure he's better than most people playing uh, these. Uh, lecherous, sort of uh, flirty, rapey characters in, in, in these movies, you know what I mean? Because Romancing Star, to my, if my memory is correct, was more of the that thing, where flirt, get girls, or try and get girls. But if you have Char and Fat in there, it's going to be a little bit more elevated than that. I, I've never thought it was annoying. Uh, at least not at this time.
1: Yeah, just the, the, the way where Char and Fat was sort of the epitome of a real man and it's not it's not how he holds a gun it's not how many asses he kicks it's the way you got that reflecting he was a bit of a jerk but he's really charming but he's also you know a bit of flirt and he's off but he's also a straight straight arrow he's a he's a righteous guy who always does the right thing and and but you know temperamental as well he really had down the sort of typical stereotypical man Hong Kong man in the nineteens and, and 80s
0: he was a movie star isn't that wonderful I exactly. can play that but he- He's an effing movie star, mind you. He's a movie star that, at the time, maybe throughout the eras, didn't have any problem uh, walking amongst the populace or anything like uh, riding public transports. I think uh, he's always been endearing in that regard, and it's never been a strain for him, the movie star, to try and play a normal guy or anything. Nope, it's just seemed he 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 could tune into that, and I'm I'm sure his background wasn't uh, far off in his mind either. So he could he could tap into that and all of that.
1: Exactly. He's a man of the working class. He grew up on, on Lama Island. He's a, he's a son of a fishing family, I think. So it's not like he came from a well-to-do family either. So he knows how to play a working class person because he was part of the working class. The interplay that he
0: has with Sylvia, which I... I... I can't say anything bad about Sylvia. I mean, between him and uh, her and Chiang Fat, I mean, Chiang Fat's or is better, I guess. But I, I love Sylvia with all my heart, whether Aces go places or a dramatic actors, so or even a director. She's a very good director. And, and their first scenes, you know, in the office where, you know, mantat has set the whole thing up because um, he hasn't told Chiang Fat that uh, the boss of the company is actually, is actually her. That scene is designed as being uncomfortable. And uh, surprising for both of them. So, any notes on like the interplay between them? The, the very cold interplay, as it were.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. The the reunion, right? Is a reunion scene, right? They haven't seen each other in ten years, and it's a, an uncomfortable reunion. And but of course, you know that the, since the two wrote the story, I mean, they're pretty much they probably have a pretty good relationship off the screen. But um, and that chemistry really comes through in the second half of the film.
0: Yeah, and 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 it's designed very very well here, this scene, because she starts out calling him Mr. You know, she, she doesn't say, ah, look at you how long. You haven't cut your hair. But she calls him Mr. Young. And uh, she says that I go by Miss uh, Miss Poon. So it's business-like. And uh, now they're on different levels in terms of class, and that isn't comfortable for him. Uh, and it's done through silence and, uh, and, un- and uncomfort, and... Uh, you know, he 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 gets the contract, and he says, "I'm not comfortable with English." Then their their boyfriend walks in with the flowers, "Happy birthday!"
1: The kiss that really weird kiss, and,
0: and, and <laughs> like like trying to move in on his fucking territory. Uh, is such <laughs> a dick dick character. So, but he, he, whoever the actor <laughs> is, it works, I suppose. But I I, I like that. Chime, but it. it it's echoes of an autumn's tale in a way where he uh, he says i need to take this to my solicitor so we we can look look this through and then the guy walks in who's got it all and giant is gonna sort of well i can sign the contract now it's no big deal but you can see it in his eyes that this is just painful for him he feels vulnerable he feels incredibly vulnerable and that is well played like you read about not show off him
1: I like how he plays off the solicitor thing because you know he doesn't have a solicitor. Yeah, I was about right? to say, like,
0: how can he afford to have one? Does he have an on retainer? He can't afford that either. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. You know he's just pretending. And that's the sort of brilliance of the script, I suppose, the, the subtlety again. It's how you say much without with very little. And it's the, the way that he's, uh, the Charm Fat character plays up his his pride you know i have a solicitor you know i can have him read this whatever but and then how he plays it back down it's it it says so much of so little
0: exactly because he also clearly doesn't have a nice wardrobe to go into these kind of business meetings either so he's he's uh he hasn't it looks like he hasn't cut his hair in since 1978 at one point in the flashback (laughs) we see that he has short hair over time you know he has kept that 1978 though, which i think is a wig it's a decent wig i suppose but it's bad hair though obviously it's like one of those uh jackie chan late 70s early 80s uh haircuts you know what i mean <laughs> in terms of johnny toe is that a good thing that he he doesn't intrude either he sort of just makes sure that character and acting and dialogue comes through and there's no need to um to work the camera to achieve that do you think that's the better choice for the movie
1: Oh, of course. I mean, I think that it's easy to say to disown this film as you know, not Johnny Toes because oh, he was in his commercial period and blah blah. But actually, it, it it is very much his thing. I mean, I can't imagine that he would just be on set and not be involved with the film. I think he has as much as hand in how how much it works, and I think he directs the the actors well, and and obviously knows how to uh, push the emotions when needed, and and he knows again how to. these working class characters and to make them likable characters despite their flaws again no villains here right no real villains in this film everyone's a bit flawed but no one's really the bad guy
0: maybe the macau grand prix is the villain
1: (laughs) (laughs) that is well set up i know you you say it's, it's really abrupt but the thing is they had the whole gun in the first act thing actually the fact that every motorcycle scene you see someone falling they see someone slipping. You know that's the gun in the first act that they have to bring back in the third act. So it's set up perfectly. Still doesn't like it.
0: <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> we'll we'll get to it. But yeah, I I I fairly agree on what Johnny Toe is doing, and he he has to depict you know what's going on under the surface too. There's an aura of the past is the past, forgiveness can be achieved, life certainly isn't over. giant Fat and seems at one point to say that. Well, I can't can't do anything anymore, so I might as well place all my hope in my kid but then he starts to train again for this race i mean his leg is injured so he hasn't uh, been racing for a while so th- there is that maturity in the character that he's moved away from actually the violent playboy i've never seen giant fat hit a woman in movies at this time i mean he did it in peace hotel he like slapped cecilia yip for like a couple of dozen times in peace hotel but it, it-, it was strange to see giant fat like beat the woman in, in movies, you know, and um, but 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 that was then, and now you, you can argue that he has progressed as a character. You know, he's a responsible, at the best of his abilities financially, father, and he wants to do good for his kid. But here comes, you know, Sylvia Chang's character, I think is well meaning, but ultimately flawed because she starts pampering Porky, like you read about, and you you get you gotta think that that hurts in the eyes of someone who can't even close come close to the level of pampering that right, she provides. right he ends up
1: spending he ends up spending all his money on the dog right i think
0: yeah exactly that little um, uh, i don't know what the breed is but uh, it's uh and, and 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 it's so heartbreaking because uh porky just sort of dismisses it like oh yeah there's the dog and he he's got his um old-timey apple computer to play with at this time it's quite heartbreaking but but, but they, they sort of flip back and forth in a way Before they reach that point where they can forgive each other, because they're sort of vindictive towards each other, Uh, along and uh, and Sylvia Chang's character, uh, they they sort of starts to as they talk of the past, they they start to rub rub it in in certain aspects. Like I I told I told Porky that you were dead and, uh, and and all of that. So that is interesting actually to follow. It isn't nasty for the sake of it, and it isn't too nasty or anything. Because they're ultimately not terrible people, neither of them. They, but the vindictive nature is there to a degree. They're gonna get that out. That that that's human. That's natural. That's realistic. I think it's not movie uh, characters and movie realism playing. Um, so I kind of I kind of enjoy that.
1: Yeah, I like how they handled the, the 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 relationship in a very mature way. You know, the way that Sylvia Chang says. That I would never love you anymore, and you know, there's no, it's not a Disney side, Disney version of the story. There is no way that she will ever love him again after what he's done to her, and and she is very stubborn about that, even sort of to the bitter end, right?
0: Yeah, exactly, and I mean both are, you know, realizing stuff, and it, it helps that the kid is there to, without him knowing it, being the peacekeeper, because as Porky and as uh, Popo Silver Changs character, they're, they're at ocean park perhaps and or at the restaurant, and Porky tells her that uh, Dad told me it was all his fault for you breaking up. So she finds out that he hasn't been talking shit about her or anything. Which I think, under the surface, she might have uh, assumed. You know, they, they, they come to a very mature you know, dramatic conclusion, but but then there's the issue of, okay, who's gonna get custody? I, I mean, it, it's a mild custody drama, building up and that's you know we got enough investment in the characters for that to be engaging especially through little acting touches, uh, as it, as Johnny Toe brings to the forefront that Sylvia Chang was to take the kid to the US to get a better education. There's little moments with, with Chai Fat where when he finds that out it's, it's in one of the scenes where he's pondering that or finds that out where you can see his lip quivering a little bit and uh, mm. that that is just spot-on stuff, rather than weepy melodrama coming out. You know that dilemma is engaging, actually.
1: Well, it definitely helped that these two actors were both involved in the story. So they're trying to tell the story they've crafted, and obviously they they have to live up to what they've done here. And and that's I think that really helped in getting the two the two adults into the story. The fact that they were behind the story. About the kid, Wang Quan, Quan Quan Yun, he was actually I thought in the first half he was a bit grating. The whole yeah, he was so hysterical and he's so over the top. But it completely worked in the second half when he when you have the the scene where he's um he has after he has the argument with, uh, with his dad and then he runs to Sylvia Chang's room and he calls home. And crying at his dad and begging him to take him back. Oh, and I, you know, it really—that's when his hysterical nature really worked. That that the desperate, the, you know, the desperation in his voice and in the face, and it really worked at that moment. The kid, um, I was I was bowled over.
0: That, it, it's very effective and it, it's thankfully not manipulative melodrama because its characters we built up and drama that we have engaged in. I mean, prior you have had that scene where. Chai in fact just throwing the kid around and they're arguing and they, they knock over the computer and they that can't have been fun to shoot because I don't know if Chau was a dad or anything at that point but it's certainly to just throw the kid around and uh, wrestle and tussle like they do and to have the dialogue back and forth and to, to make that feel raw and real and not sappy uh, like sappy like melodrama is pretty goddamn, pretty goddamn impressive. It's um it's something that Johnny Toe certainly needs to be credited for as well to, because you don't shoot that in like 10 minutes and then move on. You know, that needs to be right.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, that's a very difficult scene and, and I'm sure that there's a bit of emotional investment in the kid and the kid pulled it off and Fat, of course. He was convincing. <laughs> I mean, like I said, it's the way the a very typical Hong Kong dad, right? The hardcore, the hard-ass Hong Kong dad. So I felt, I felt it in there when I when I was watching it.
0: Yeah, he was kind of always slapping him around, you know, like uh, come on, like be, be beating him on the back or beating him on, on the butt, and like come on, let's move now. And now there's actually a little bit more physical abuse involved, and that is rather heartbreaking. And I mean, my 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 favorite scene of of that is when you know, he has stormed out of the room Pock, and there is Chaimfat left to just realize what he's done and he's buried, he buries his face in his hand and uh, sobs there And uh, I don't know if there's an overhead shot I always imagine there is an overhead shot there but I think it's it, it, it's it's simply a fairly distant shot of just uh, Chaimfat taking it all in which is, you don't need to intrude anymore for, uh, on an actor to uh, in order for that moment to be sold to an audience, you know
1: Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you don't, you don't need to close up on Char. In fact, to make sure we know how he's feeling, No, he's just a he's a he's an actor who can who can really project.
0: And, and also, I think that's an underrated little thing to do: crying scenes, but but bury your face in your hands because people do, men do, women do. You you want to hide yourself from the world, even if you're alone, and that works for cinema too. It's not hidden from us what's going on. That's the that's the point, and and all that is. You know, it's it's big and it's emotional. I mean, there's a heartbreak in Sylvia Chang when she realizes that Chang Fat is not going to let go of his son and she realizes that she probably has no right or she can't at this point because she really wants to be the mother hardcore. She accelerates to 100 miles per hour to be a mother. Like, pampering, education, like, I'm taking you away. So, I mean, they're not, they're not bad characters, but her mother instincts kicks in where she tries to make up for ten years, in like a couple of days, that's not necessarily right. So you would hope that the movie would have either some sort of open ending or unsaid sort of where we're gonna try and make this work. But no, and here's, <laughs> and here's where I don't agree with the movie. I it's it's uh, again we're spoiling it so. Uh, Want to set up um, what the final ten minutes are about and where it's set first of all before we reveal what's uh, what's going on. Uh so uh, it's it's an action ending in a way. So what happens?
1: <laughs> there is fire. There is a uh, car car racing. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah, it's a it's a bike racing if anything. Uh, at, uh, yeah, bike racing. Yeah. Uh, presumably set at the Macau Grand Prix track. That uh, because I saw Macau Grand Prix in the uh, in the uh, credits and. Uh, you know, he's, uh, he's going to have his race now, he's, uh, he's going to come back, you know, the comeback kid. And the family is there and, uh, you know, they might not be together because she's going back to the U.S. and uh, he's staying there with his son and maybe they're going to work something out, maybe not. But, but Kevin, did, did it make sense to end it this tragically? Because uh dies in a crash.
1: Oh man. Oh, I have I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I, I think both both uh say Moncherry and this film are both very cruel <laughs> um to their characters.
0: Well, Selavi well, I could agree with that 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 sort of life, Selavi. Here it's sort no. I mean, no, you didn't need to kill him off like <laughs> why 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 leave it on something definite and tragic by having him and it's a graphic sequence too with excellent stunt work and uh, but but to kill him off in that race and then blow him up. I, I don't I, I know melodrama works in extreme ways, but I, I don't agree for a second with uh, uh,
1: this heartbreak. I, I could have dealt with heartache there's a male, the male melodrama, um, the male melodrama genre, right? The male melodrama, where you got the opposite of sort of women aren't the victim, the men are the victim, but they're ultimately the victim of their manhood, right? He has to get back on that bike because he had to do it out of pride. He wanted to make money for his son, and he does it out of pride, and he returns to the track, even despite what's happened before, and he pays a dear price for it. So it is, it is, it is punishing the man for, you know, Giving in to his male pride, but at the same time, it's it's also um, I guess it's it's a way of uh, for a man to die in a blaze of glory, right? He has to go out in the most spectacular way possible. So definitely spectacular. I mean, getting hit on the head is not enough. He had to blow up next to the yeah. bike, and he
0: He's wins a... and then dies. You know, he wins, he wins the and race, dies.
1: and and the final shot is him blowing up and and being you know engulfed in fire in front of his son. Yep. You know, and that is, and that's the end of the film. This is where, again, we go back to the idea of cinemas wanting, you know. <laughs> I mean, we could have had, you know, at least one shot of a funeral, at least a shot of maybe the son leaving Hong Kong with the mom. And then Johnny told us, fuck that. We got to end the film. We got to move on <laughs> to the next show. <laughs> 90 minutes. We got to do it in 90 minutes. And he just ends the film right there as if the story is finished.
0: I mean, I mean, you talk about it like uh, it's, it's pretty out there. But, I mean, is it? does it make sense dramatically to go this far for you? I mean, do you accept it because of what you know of the genre or did you have a problem with how far he went?
1: I, I accept it because it's a man on a bike genre, which is, you know, if they're on a bike, you know, they're going to crash. And like I said, the film has foreshadowed it because that's where they build, they've been building suspense for that scene from the beginning because every time we see bike racing, we see someone fall. So we know that this is going to, th- in our back of our mind, we know that this could happen to a long. And um, knowing that there's a metal drama, it's probably going to happen to a long. <laughs> and it happens to Andy Lau in Full Throttle. And it happens to, you know, it's a cautionary tale, right? Don't get on the fucking bike. <laughs> the bike is dangerous. Don't race on the fucking bike. Well, well, well I got
0: to correct you there. It didn't happen to Andy Lau in Full Throttle. It happened to Cinca in Full Throttle. Because uh, isn't uh, Full Throttle the movie where Andy actually lives at the end?
1: I thought Andy dies at the end. Maybe it did. I keep thinking Andy dies. There's a good chance he I did. It's <laughs> like the genre. The genre makes it that Andy has to die in that movie. But Ching definitely happened in Ching
0: I mean, it happens with uh, Moment of Romance, of course. Uh...
1: Well, of course, yeah, Moment of Romance. So it's uh, Andy Lau also, you know, the fact that he comes back for a race, and I think it was going to happen. Anyway, I forget. Sorry for the spoiler for Frotto. <laughs>
0: I, I, I would have liked to see a milder solution, maybe an open-ended solution. I know open-ended is not necessarily cinema friendly or anything, but I just thought, I know it's foreshadowed. Boy, do I, uh, it was evident. But I, I, I didn't think this closed the circle on the characters by having it happen this way. You know, he did something with his life and then, that happened, you know. Uh and, and, and cinematically Johnny Toe just pushes us because when he gets hit in the head by the motorbike that goes past him, you get that huge guitar sting. And a slow mo <laughs> you know, it's so so Johnny Toe is just you know opening up wounds and just pouring like a vat of salt into it. Like
1: deal with it. Johnny Toe has never, ever been known for his subtlety. <laughs> True. Ever. So if he's gonna do this, if he's gonna do make this commercial melodrama and where you know the the character gets hit in the head by passing motorbike, he is gonna he is gonna milk the hell out of that moment, you know.
0: And the Canto pop song on top of it as well. Whoever sang that good song, damn good song. But you know, it's um, it's it's a bit too much. I I the sequence is great as uh, they, they got uh, Tony Ching and uh, Yoon Boon and uh, one other action director on the. On the show so i mean the sequence looks great from an action perspective and there's some really gnarly looking stunts here because if you fall off the bike you can't sort of plan how you fall off a bike necessarily you're just gonna yeah. literally roll with it and and i mean yeah, they, yeah. i mean they're padded up and all of that but they're still rolling on asphalt and uh, all of that so
1: a note on the music uh, i guess a common thread between this and Mont cherie both films uh, feature music. Uh, well, here it's written by Lo Tai-yao who is a very famous uh, Taiwanese songwriter, and uh, some of the songs in there are still, you know, live on very, very well. Um, and also, uh, C'est La Vie Mon Cherie you see, um, the record company that the two characters go to is Rock Records, which is a Taiwanese music um, record company, which really I think shows how big Taiwanese music was in Hong Kong in those during those years in the late '80s and early '90s. That they were responsible for a lot of the classic songs that we see from. Hong Kong film. So even the theme song in um, in Mong Sherry became a huge hit and is still covered in uh, in uh, these talent shows uh, in in Taiwan. So uh, again, sort of this big Taiwan presence in both these films.
0: For, well, for me, for me, it's huge. Yeah, I mean, my my favorite song out of there, any Hong Kong movie, I think, is. Uh, well, it's sung in Mandarin anyway. Uh, there is a fairly obscure Andy Lao movie called "Runaway Blues." It's a like, very, very harsh, like Category Three rated uh, Taiwanese set, Hong Kong set gangster movie, and uh, Dave Wong sings the theme to that song, and it's uh, done in Mandarin for the movie. And that, that's the only way I've heard. I've heard it. Uh, one of the classic uh, sort of canto. Pop power ballads. Um, uh, I don't have to say, uh, the name of the song, obviously, but uh, that's uh, look up Runaway Blues on YouTube. You'll, you'll have a, a wonderful MV for it, uh, specifically a sort of short MV for it to uh, go in line with the movie. Uh, not with Adela, but with uh, Dave Wong. And <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's so, all so, so good, man. It was one of the more rewarding re- rewatches. I've seen it maybe three or four times over the years. Uh, I, some of the melodrama in along. That I thought was a little bit eh, before worked a little bit better because I was more invested in the characters this time around. But I I still think the ending is uh, punishing us too much, and it's not like well that's life like in Celery. For this is more like this is ah, I can I can do this, <laughs> <laughs> you know, deal with it. Credits. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Again, this is one of those films where they couldn't get—they couldn't wait to get to the sponsor before the explosions even like done.
0: Exactly, it says something like Technophone or whatever. So, uh, yeah, yeah. There's a, why do, does that need to be upfront? I mean, it's it's surely a uh, part of the agreement, but uh, it happens so much in Hong Kong movies that, however, the movie's end—you know, tragically or not—sometimes there's it's not even part of the credit. Sometimes it's literally just a big advertisement for the clock company. And then the black credits come up, you know. So they 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 need to display it full on, right as the cinema goers leave, which is a a point, obviously. And that's it. I have no other notes. Anything else you want to say about all about along?
1: Um, I, this is actually the first time I've seen the film in entirety, but of course I'm not surprised by any of it. I mean, the film is so well known that you kind of know where it was heading and 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 things like that. No pleasant surprise or, you know, not expected, but it was a very pleasant watch. And um, again, it, it really helps to dispel the whole thing about Johnny Toe's career and Charon Fat's career. And I think that's one of the more important films of his career, uh, believe it or not. And this is after Charon Fat sort of solidified his reputation as an action actor uh, with the West. Right, with those films. Um and I think these these films, like this film and Autumn's Tale, I think they're more important in 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 seeing them to know sort of the myth of Charn Fat, what is the cult, where the legend of Char and Fat comes from and why is he so beloved. It's not because he knows how to hit, hold two guns, it's because he was so good at playing everyday man. And I think this is one of the most important films to see if you really want to know what the um where the legend of Charn Fat comes from.
0: Indeed. Very much agree. Very agree. And as for availability, it is available on blu- Blu-ray in Hong Kong from Cam and Ronson, working off the Fortune Star remaster. Knowing Fortune Star, this is most likely, I don't have it, but most likely, upscaled from standard definition, but if you only owned the Universe DVD before, which is the one I have, it should look like a decent upgrade anyway, but uh, they, they rarely do proper HD for, uh, for Blu-ray. Uh, despite remix options only on the blu there's not a whole lot for Fortune Star to sort of tamper with and um, and destroy. So I hope they largely left the movie alone in that regard, even though they, they did like a big surround track. Maybe hopefully they just sort of spread out the old monosaurs a little bit, I hope anyway. Because the 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 final sequence, if they put all their heart into that, to uh, craft new explosion sounds and what have you, then that's going to stand out. Uh, the old DVD was 5.1 Dolby Digitals around as well, but other than some strange echo sounds of and mildly layered in new effects, the old DVD still sounded more true to uh, the mono roots of uh, of this movie. Uh, oh, oh, I forgot to mention, uh, not a huge note or anything, but uh, this was the first movie I saw Mantati, and I didn't know he was a comedy actor. So, I mean, mm. he, he's sort of broad in a couple of scenes here. There's a funny scene where he has like one or two wives that uh, say, can we eat now? All you do is eat. Eat, 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 eat. <laughs> and you eat too much. And then uh, apparently one of the wives uh, take, takes his money and runs away. So, <laughs> but, but other than that, I think he's a good, a good uh, natural dramatic reactor, even though his forte is... Play more loud characters. I mean, he's been awarded for his dramatic acting in uh, A Moment of Romance. So, uh, but obviously, his a uh, partnership with Stephen Chow is where it came to fruition a little bit more for for him. He's a damn funny man. But uh, but yeah, it's a it's a, a different little uh, take on uh, a different kind of performance from him. Uh, like the same year, he started to uh, to uh, goof it up with uh, Stephen Chow, obviously. So over the, over year after, yeah.
1: Actually, actually, I I I like that you bring up Montag because I realized, you know, in um at the Love HK Film Awards we have this thing called the Liu Kai Liu Kai Chi the Liu Kai Chi Award for Best Overacting, and I realized that the man who probably set up the whole Liu Kai Chi thing is right. Montag is really the master. He's a master class in overacting. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you watch um as re- film as recent as uh, the Menu from last year, uh, the film about um uh, reporters. He was blowing the roof off with with the projecting, you know. He is on, and here he is on. Like you keep wondering why that man hasn't like popped an artery or something because he's so <laughs> mad all the time. Yeah. But yeah, no, he he was a master over actor even back in the eighties.
0: Always good fun. One of my favorite moments of him in uh, the various God of Gamblers or uh, movies with Stephen Chow is this weird condition he has whenever Stephen Chow <laughs> calls him uncle, he starts like. Sp- going to spasms and go like ah, and that is the funniest motherfucking shit I've ever seen because he starts humping people as well where if he's in a place where he's near a person he starts to hump them and go Aah! or like puts his ice cream cone in his face instead and that isn't refined comedy but goddamn, it is he good at that silly stuff so yeah, and uh, you know played a broad character in, in A Moment of Romance but it had dramatic purpose um, and uh, certainly earned that award uh, for all about along uh, multiple w- nominee but uh, in Hong Kong it was uh, Cha-Yun-Fat that was awarded uh, Be- best actor and I don't know how many years he was nominated against himself. I know it happened in 1988 for the 1987 output, so but um, it certainly, yeah, it's certainly it's a chance. Yeah. yeah, it certainly is a chance that he had another nomination <laughs> to compete against. So
1: yeah, this was this was absolutely Channing Fat at the top of his game. I mean, two years before he had three nominations. Uh, it was Autumn's Tale, Prison on Fire, and City on Fire, and then two years later. Wonder if I'm gonna win. <laughs> <laughs> and then he, of course, he did. Did he win? He did win for City on Fire, not for Autumn's Tale or Prison of no, Fire. No, Autumn's
0: Tale was, saying in Taiwan. He uh, got the Golden Horse for Autumn's Tale.
1: Right, right. And then two years later, he was uh, nominated for All About Along and God of Gamblers. And if you talk to people in Hong Kong, Chow and Fat, which one would he be known for? God of Gamblers would be on top of that list. And he still lost it to All About Along, which is how good he is. And this is a man who was at the top of his game, absolutely top of his game. There's like Michael Jordan shit here,
0: right? <laughs> well, I, I love the little, um, th- th- there's a YouTube uh, version of uh, his acceptance speech for possibly a better tomorrow. That they, It isn't translated, but someone did translate it because I could hear he he talked about one and two and three. And apparently his uh, speech was about like the first time I got nominated, I wore a tux or a suit. Second time, I wore a tux in a suit. And the third time, which was a better tomorrow, he's wearing casual clothes. He looks like he walked in off the street. <laughs> And he essentially said that and when I wore this, I finally won. So hmm. he he was um he was um, pleasant about that and not uh, obviously uh, bearing grudges against uh, any lost nominations before for like Hong Kong nineteen forty one was probably one nomination and things like that before his um, before his big break.
1: Well of course he was especially thankful because you remember he was uh, he was boxed up as poison at the beginning of his career. So I think he was just really thankful for for just having his career back and not and, and of course we all know he went way, way ahead of that after that, mm-hmm. after getting his career back.
0: So, yeah, Melodrama Season 1 in the back. We have two more parts in, in this season uh, with um, different co-hosts. Uh, I won't announce the co-host just yet, but the next episode we will be talking of the... We mentioned him, he's in Celevi montcherie but we will be talking of the Jacob Chung-directed comedy-drama Always On My Mind, starring Michael Hoy and uh, Josephine Xiao. And uh, there's bound to be a little media satire in there, probably. He plays a newscaster who gets cancer! You <laughs> know, Surprise! Uh, we know that before the movie ends. But uh, And uh, we also will be looking at a slightly more modern uh, weepy or melodrama with Charlene Choi and Ethan Chan, and that's Funeral March by director Joe Ma. Different selection from different eras. And, if, and uh, we will be uh, returning... Derek will pop up again in the third episode because there's more from Derek in terms of drama and melodramas. So guess what movie that will be, listeners. But uh, it won't be full throttle. uh, I I can reveal reveal that.
1: (laughs) By by the way, Andy, I just looked it up. Andy Lau does not die in full throttle. You're right. He crashes at the end, but then he picks up himself and then he runs back to his girlfriend. Decides not to race anymore. Exactly because
0: it's one of those like, hey, this did not end like it's supposed to end. He lived.
1: But of course, it could be a dream. He could have died and it was a dream. You, know, you don't know that.
0: And Lok lived instead.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: well, well. So, sorry for spoiling it again, people. But uh, there it is. Uh, but uh, we'll conclude this one. Uh, thank you very much, Kevin, for uh, participating in this um, season that I conjured up. I very much appreciate it because you, you have a Hong Kong perspective that I don't uh, have necessarily, so I always value that highly, my friend.
1: Uh, thank you for putting me in the season premiere. It's good to uh, kick off the season.
0: Mm-hmm, indeed. And uh, a continuation of our sort of Derek Yee adoration. Uh, but uh, you'll, you'll be left out of the f- third episode that covers uh, covers another Derek Yee movie. So um, we'll uh, conclude this one. This has been Podcast on Fire on the Podcast on Fire Network. We are located on podcastonfire.com, along with all our other shows and bonus episodes. So, so make your choice over there at uh, the right-hand side. That's a menu for you. Email us if you have any feedback on these movies or any other. Here, jokers in Hong Kong cinema. Podcast on fire at googlemail.com. Hit us up on social media. Handy buttons are available to our Facebook, to our Twitter, to our iTunes feed, and to Stitcher Radio, where you can stream our shows either online or through the applications available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. And I write about a variety of uh, melodramas and face-pissing uh, Taiwanese children's movies and uh, ninja movies over at SoGoodReviews.com and com is where you'll find my basic spoken audio video reviews and my tweets are available at SoGoodReviews. And finally, Kevin, something new to plug as we established earlier in the show, but uh, for people who do not remember, what's your new site called and where can they find it?
1: My new site is called Asia in Cinema. Uh, I am at asiaincinema.com. That's one word, asiaincinema.com. I'm on Twitter. I'm at thegoldenrock. That's one word, thegoldenrock. Of course, you can follow the Asia in Cinema Twitter and Facebook accounts. Um, I'm also the editor of uh, Cathay Pacific's uh, Discovery Magazine. So if you're flying Cathay Pacific Airways or uh, Cathay Dragon Airways, you can find my work uh, in the entertainment section of uh, Circle Magazine and Discovery Magazines
0: busy man busy man. Uh, are, are you able to balance it all does it feel uh, like uh, 24 hours't is, is enough
1: no I mean I'm lucky if I get seven hours sleep it's pretty much non-stop for me plus I have to watch films so um, with the Hong Kong Film Festival coming up uh, I have no idea what's gonna get sacrificed I mean obviously not the job where I get paid which is the, the magazine job um, but the tw- maybe the tweeting and the, the Asian cinema updates may be a little bit sparse during the film festival uh, so but so sorry for that in advance but uh, that's how it goes.
0: Excellent, my friend. Well, uh, thank you very much again. And uh, let's uh, let's uh, find something else to do in the future because I enjoy having these uh, discussions with you. And uh, so yeah, I've been Kenneth B. And uh, with me was Kevin Maas. So send us out, buddy, with a little buy of sorts.
1: Thanks, Kenneth. And uh, goodbye, everybody. See you next time I'm on.